0: Welcome to Buffeting, the podcast with my wife Cass Ew. and I share our conversations on investing with you as we try to keep compounding capital so I don't have to go back to being a carpenter
1: and I don't have to go back working with real estate agents. <laughs> we hope you find it informative and entertaining,
0: but we are not your financial advisors and nothing we say should take as investment advice. As always, do your own research, which is more fun.
1: And now, without further ado, on to the
0: episode. Look at the S&P over the last six months. Look at the NASDAQ over the last six months, and look at the 30-year bond rate over the last six months. These things, it's a controlled demolition. Until inflation comes down, the demolition will continue. There's a lot of more important things in the world than money, that's for sure. And I do think it's good to remember that, and remembering that makes you a better investor. I don't think it's helpful
1: to watch market news at all. I don't think it's helpful at all
0: no so what do you mean by market news do you think like
1: watching mainstream news CN- CNBC. cnbc yeah CNBC, twitter Fox, yeah. even twitter yeah well twitter's hard because it's kind of like you have some really good content mm. unique perspectives and quite like you can get really good information through it but True. there's also like a sprinkling of disorientating stories that like weave through your feed, even though it's from people who you don't even follow.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And it always leads you off into like these little tangents and waste your time.
0: I know it's a very hard thing to balance Twitter as far as it's like usefulness to investing. Cause I feel like I have had some good arg- um, some good arguments thrown at me that I never would have come across from reading them on Twitter, yeah. you know, things that I saw and I was like, Oh, if that's true, then a massive amount of our money is at risk, so I'm gonna research that perspective. But um, I think, yeah, for the most part, it just stresses you out, it's a waste of time.
1: It stresses me out.
0: Well, I think it stresses everybody out. That's why they react to it, I think that's why it's so popular, is that you read something that's um, like against your point of view, usually, or with your point of view, and it kind of gets an emotional response going, so it creates like a chemical addiction to it, you know, like it's pretty, yeah, but like you said, probably quite unhelpful.
1: It can distract you and waste a lot of time and make you more emotional. So for the past two months I've just not really I just listened to what the Fed releases. And what I say. <laughs> and I'm like, what happened today? And checking the Fed year yeah. yeah. Field, that's it.
0: Yeah. Just fair like enough.
1: staying in reality.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with just doing that because those are the key factors. So if you're, you know, if you're trying to make a decision, you want to pay I think the most attention you can to the specific factors that are just important and the specific factors to our bond short, like that was always just about the supply and demand of the bond market. And why is that changing? It's changing because the Fed wants to stop stimulating the economy and start restricting the economy. and. The only way they can do that is by raising interest rates but everyone focuses on the first half of the interest rates the short-term interest rates the federal funds rate and doesn't really think so much about the tightening effect that will come from longer term rates being higher um, so yeah like we've just you've basically just been paying attention to what's the yield doing because if the yield moves in a very bizarre way then something may have changed then we have to check it. So that in, in that sense, the price is kind of useful. But apart from that, yeah, what J-POW saying. Um, and what CPI is. And what CPI is. And whatever nonsense I talk to you about. <laughs> but,
1: and whatever general economic activity is happening. Like yeah, watching exactly. normal news.
0: And observing what we see in day-to-day life as well.
1: Yeah, it's just way more helpful.
0: Yeah. And like, look at Buffett. He doesn't, didn't work in New York City because he didn't want to be exposed to all of the exactly. activity. Yeah. Like John Templeton, you know, he reckons their performance improved when he moved the whole fund to like, I think it was Bermuda or some you know, Caribbean country, yeah, you know, because, because they got the you know, Wall Street Journal one day later than everybody else. So they actually, he, he says that by getting the news after everybody else, that actually helped his investing. So all these investors, like I, I reckon that, Most people have the idea that these people are just like totally rational the whole time. But I think that they know they're actually irrational and they then take steps to help to control their emotions. Yeah, that combined with as much peace and quiet and calm in your regular life will definitely help you to make good decisions. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. But it's just it's annoying when you do check in with market news. <laughs> it's like, what are you people doing?
0: <laughs> I know. Like, it's
1: so emotional. It's either a boom or a bust. It's like, what week yep. is it? Every fortnight, sentiment changes. I know. It's exhausting because now that we just like listen to Powell's speech, it's so clear that inflation's uh, getting worse. Yep. Actually, it took them by surprise. Yeah. And they've just moved 75 basis points. That was enough to cause mass hysteria. at just the talk of it.
0: A few days ago. yeah. A month ago. Yeah.
1: Last meeting. It's like, oh, he took it off the table. Everyone was so oh, relieved. Oh God he took it off the table. What a
0: relief. The market boomed.
1: And he just raised 75 today, people. Yeah. And it's like, buy the dip.
0: It's good news, is it? You're like, how does that make if any sense?
1: Are, they're going to be raising for...
0: While I have absolutely no idea how bad inflation is going to get, I have absolutely no number. Like, everyone seems to have a number. That's what can you know, I find hilarious is everyone has an idea that oh, yeah, like it's going to come down to four, mm-hmm. or you know, like okay, it might get to six, but you know, <laughs> no, whatever. Like,
1: how are you calculating that
0: let's exactly? only thing we know, or only thing that I know from our research, is that every historical inflation. Yeah that's been over 5% and um, I've seen like data that's been aggregated. So I actually don't know how many inflations that includes, but you know, I've heard Druckenmiller repeat this. I've heard Bridgewater repeat this. I've heard Paul Tudor Jones repeat it, I think as well. All these people repeat this same thing that when you get an economy that's having inflation over 5%, to stop that inflation, you need to get the base interest rate in the economy above the rate of inflation so for five percent that would be five and a half six percent you know we know that the historical examples like in the late 80s with Volker, meant that inflation was 15 and he pushed the rate to 20. Early 80s. uh yeah early, well late 70s early 80s in that yeah, period yeah. so thinking about oh well when's inflation going to come down by itself historically it hasn't come down by itself no. it's kept getting worse and worse and worse and what fuels it is a combination of, you know, pushing money into the financial markets and pushing money into the economy and government's deficit spending essentially, which is creating money, you know, borrowing to increase the amount of money that goes in the economy. So those are the factors, that's the way it's been historically. And, um, yeah, I don't know, I I think less about the when's going to come down by itself and how bad is it going to get for them to have to push rates above it to actually force it down? Because maybe those other factors, like um, you know the amount of debt we have and all that kind of stuff, the other unusual factors of our time, maybe that will play a big part in inflation coming down by itself. But there's no historical reason to think that. I'm open to arguments, but that's not <laughs> what's happened historically. They've
1: just spent so far into the future. I feel like they've filled it that whole economy up with liquidity, mm. and they're having to draw it back out because there's too much out there. Yeah. And while there's so much out there, the little supply they have is going to get get it up in price because demand is just the amount of money exactly right. They have access to
0: exactly
1: that's the demand that they will have. Yeah. And so you need to bring that liquidity back out. So that's like wealth destruction.
0: Definitely. It's and, all
1: bit, yeah. yeah i think people struggle to make the jump from well honestly how does the fed you know, making it cheaper for banks to lend mm. how does that affect the price of bread you know Exa- I mean?
0: exactly exactly
1: it's difficult to make that jump but if you just think of money as a demand energy output or something yeah like if you link the two yeah as simple as that like All of that money is just demand, whether it's in housing or it's in stocks or it's in cash in the bank or in gold or in Bitcoin, crypto. Yep, it's all just can be liquidified back to money and sent in the economy. Exactly right. Potential demand, and that's what needs to be drawn back out.
0: And that's the only way. So you know, raising interest rates and reducing the value of stocks and bonds, that changes the total pool of demand that's still out there to go into the real economy. So that's where the quantitative tightening and the raising of long term and you know middle range rates tens to thirty years, which affect mortgages and all those kind of things, that's where that makes sense. But the pool of money, you know, on banks' balance sheets, in people's bank accounts, um, companies that drew, you know, who borrowed a huge amount of money at one percent like micro strategies for example you know they were asking that guy like you know how's your balance sheet going buddy and he goes great we borrowed two billion dollars at like one and a half percent something like that so that's the kind of effect if you if you're wondering why bitcoin price has gone up and how that links to the federal reserve well did the federal reserve cause interest rates to go down to one and a half percent yes did that mean that michael Saylor? Lightning eyes, could. fully
1: electrified now. He's electrified it's in, now. It's like the electric chair. Yeah.
0: The more Bitcoin goes down, the sparklery his photo <laughs> photo gets. Um, but yeah, that meant that he could borrow one point five billion dollars and buy Bitcoin and let up his balance sheet. So he actually, he's so against the U.S. government, but he wasn't against taking taking, the, taking the low interest rate. So. Direct link direct link well, between have, yeah
1: everything has direct link you've still got the supply side yep. causing problems like the fed's just realizing now that china's supply is not gonna you know magically come back to normal and like the price of energy is not going to magically come back to normal yeah and the price of food is not going to magically come back to normal like there's a lot of factors making that worse.
0: Of course, yeah. As
1: well, so your yeah. supply is still restricted. Big time. So you've got to pull the demand out.
0: Otherwise, as Jay Powell said in the press conference, people use CPI to judge their future expectations of inflation. People's future expectations of inflation influences how much they ask for as a pay rise. <laughs> So it doesn't matter where the CPI is, you know, because of energy prices or because of Putin or whatever. People just see stuff going up in price and that changes their future assumptions about how much they should be asking for and pushing for in prices. So that's the wage price spiral that everyone's always talking about. And um, it's already happening. You that's, can see it happening. That's
1: always been the biggest danger.
0: Yeah. Wages and services and things you're generating in your own economy. It's one thing to be having to pay more for things that are coming from outside your economy, because the whole world has too much demand. Right? That's why those things going up in, you know, in price because the whole world is overextended. Not just America, like where we focus on America because our you know a bond short is in that country, but for the most of most of the world, well, they do kind
1: of run the world, definitely economically anyway.
0: For now, yeah. They run
1: the debt, you know. For people to really understand, though, the cause of inflation would really... If you really get it, it's really simple. And it really blows your mind because mm. people might think inflation is caused because ships haven't been able to dock and mm. Mm. there's been a disruption to supply. Mm. And, you know, the war happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that cut-off energy coming out of Russia, Mm -hmm. they think of it all physically. Yeah. But really, what's sinister about this inflation is that the real cause of it was the Fed printing so much money to compensate for the disruption. Yeah. So much so that they distorted the supply-demand shock five times what it would have been if they just left it.
0: Exactly right. Or provided
1: just a little bit of support.
0: Exactly right, that.
1: Like the supply got jolted, but then they increased demand by five times GDP.
0: Yeah, yeah. Within the
1: space of two years. So you cut off supply, you amp up demand. The real cause of China not being able to supply things is because people went crazy with spending yeah. online yeah. because they had so much money and they wanted they bought up everything and yeah. they wanted more. Yeah, that there was a massive order flow. Yeah, that came into China still while they're recovering from COVID. Yeah, but then China had to try and keep up with like a massive peak in demand. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah. where did that demand come from? Like
0: and we first worked that out at the very start because the narrative at the very start was the reason why we're having this inflation is because of supply chain disruptions oh we're not getting, we're not getting stuff out of china and then we went and looked at the actual containers that were coming in and the container ports were processing more containers than they were before before covid yeah so and the they the pretty much
1: resumed to yeah, the normal they were magically
0: yeah so now now that recently in the last sort of 3 to 6 months like inflation was already like six, 7% by the end of last year. But over the last three or six months, China has started this zero COVID policy. And that has actually now started oh, to yeah. make things worse again. But at the start, at it, was the co- start. At the, it was caused by the demand and the term of too much money. And that's, as far as I can make out, totally undebatable.
1: Because you look at the reaction, if it was COVID that was the cause of yeah. inflation, the reaction at COVID, the drop in the stock market, know, March
0: 2020.
1: Mm. Do we all remember that? That was the natural reaction yeah. to COVID. Yeah. That's a correction that needed to happen. Exactly. To come exactly. back down to reality and be like, all oh, right, guys, let's all be like a little bit more exactly. sensible here. Yeah, yeah. Because we got something that we're going to deal with now. It's going to be massive.
0: Yeah. yeah. But
1: then the Fed came out and pumped stimulus out and everything recovered. And everything shot
0: to the moon. Fed and every central bank. Because that's the key point. Like, we're always saying the Fed. But when we say Fed, we mean, like, everyone, don't we? Well, everyone follows the Fed. Exactly right. Basically. Exactly right, yeah.
1: In our westernized countries anyway. Yeah. So they all follow and do the same thing. If they didn't do that, you know, we had that correction already. We had that pullback in spending. The economy would have gone into a recession. Uh, But it's nothing compared to what we're going to face now.
0: Yeah, yeah they just like extended it and then they've amped it up. Exactly right. And they're trying to pull the reins now when every man and his dog knows how bad inflation is, they're seeing it in the supermarkets, they're going, wow, this is expensive. It's already, they've allowed it to get to a point and up to a point where inflation, the actual CPI itself, the number is so bad that most people are using it to make future choices, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's what's, you know, still, Still pretty crazy, I think that the market is approaching this. It's like, oh, great, the Fed's serious about it. Oh, it's no problem anymore because they they'll get it under control. Okay, they will get it under control. At this point, I've got no reason to doubt that Jay Powell has, like, he's that pretty yeah, old fella. He, he keeps
1: saying he knows that's what he's got to do. He
0: knows it's number that one priority.
1: We to do that.
0: But we'll be required to do that. And how long a period of high interest rates will it be? Two years, three years, four years. 10 years, you know, and adding to the fact that there are some fun, what I'd call like fundamental inflationary factors, like the deglobalization. I mean, I think that's a real thing, you know, the fact that everything was made super efficiently and was running around the world, bits of everything were coming together to make every car. Yeah. And now we're having to actually in each individual country, try and take more responsibility for the products that we use just buy from overseas. Mm-hmm. And when you have to make that big change, I mean humans are very adaptable, but anything new takes mining, education, human labour, capital, and about five, 10 years to get anything done to actually like a factory, try and build a factory yeah. in six months. You can't. It takes time and you know, money. And that's why now after the war in Ukraine, you know, the EU, which is something Joseph Lang's talked about like the EU is now going to have a huge amount of borrowing that they're going to have to undergo to help to aid that country and, you know, to boost their military spending and all these things. Like, there's going to actually be a greater supply of debt coming into these markets than ever before. So there's lots of... There's lots of still lots of great arguments on the this is going to be around for a long time point of view from what I can tell.
1: Yeah, we've been... Like, living in an age of prosperity, Mm. massively.
0: Think about how how much more it will cost to, like, build any of the things. For example, like a new port or a new highway or, you know, faster internet. Anything that would be actually deflationary. Think about how much time and effort that's going to actually take in this inflationary environment to build something like that. Mm. Like, it's just going to be a nightmare. So... The only solution that's why the solution always comes back to just get the interest rates up higher than the inflation rate because then you'll suck money out of the economy trying to buy cars trying to buy food trying to buy those kind of things suck those things back into accounts because the returns are really good and even though people can invest and can spend they won't because you know you can get five percent real return in the bank mm. but the effect that would have on assets, which are valued based on the money they produce, <laughs> you know, when you can get 5% in the bank, you're going to want at least a 10% return as a, like a yield from any property because you can get 5% in the bank. Why would you, take? A why, risk? Would you, why would you take a risk for, you know, you know, yeah, it's, a, it's a hassle being a landlord. You've got to fix things, you know, you got to like yeah. get a property manager. So, it could, it, could, it could come down by itself, but there's no historical precedent for that. So I'm very happy that we are, or have been short as much as we have been. Yes, you do. And even when our option runs out in September, um, I think that unless rates have gone up drastically, <laughs> I think we'll be probably rolling over into a new position of some kind. So we'll be cashing in a lot of the gains we've made, but I think definitely, I mean, do you agree with that? Like, do you think that that's what we should do? Yeah. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense because that historical...
1: Yeah, it's going to be a long, long-term long thing. I just... It's just crazy. It's dragged on for so long, like, when it was so clear,
0: Six so ma- long ago. Six months ago, it was
1: 7%,
0: you know? And people were thinking that 1.5% on the 10-year was a good deal. And now it's like 32 in six months, you know? So, um, things can change fast. And in like, it's gone from 1.5 or whatever it was to 3.2, like there's absolutely no law of economics that says it can't go from 3.2 to 6.4 in yeah. the, in the, in, a, in another six months, yeah, the 10 or the 30 or whatever, they're yeah. pretty similar at the moment, but there's no rule that says that can't happen because according to the, what we have, which is the inflation, that would make sense, historically, so.
1: I just think listening to Powell today, it's just like he really is serious mm. about having to tackle inflation.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're
1: not gonna, you know, they're gonna understand it's gonna raise the unemployment rate. They're already starting to adjust what they're writing.
0: <laughs> exactly. The actual like projections and stuff have changed so much in the six months, eh? So much. Like, originally it was going to be three 25 basis point hikes for the whole of 2022 yes. now. So that, that would be, that would be 75 basis points in a year. Okay. We just got 75 basis points in one, in one, one ra- in one month. Okay. And the unemployment rate they're forecasting has gone up a little bit. So they they were originally forecasting like 3.7, 3.9. Now they're forecasting 4.1. So it's going to go up a little bit. Um, But the base interest rate they're forecasting has gone from seventy-five basis points for a full year to between three and a half to four percent by twenty twenty-three. So next year. Yeah. So by January next year, the consensus point of view is that they'll get the base rate to four. You know. So. Yeah,
1: and what is it going to be by next meeting? Exactly. What about three meetings from now? It's gonna be worse and worse and worse. As you said before, they're yeah. breaking it to us slowly. Yeah. But now they're having to quicken up because inflation is actually accelerating. Yeah. And that surprised them again.
0: They don't have the luxury of doing it of doing it slowly anymore. But
1: Yeah. But I just think, you know, how the markets could respond positively after a Fed meeting like that is just bizarre. It's bizarre. just bizarre. I don't get it.
0: But it happens, that's a very funny thing, it happens after every Fed meeting. I know. Like I I recall definitely at least three times where I've watched, I've got the news on my phone in the middle of the night about what the rate hike was and I've gone, that's more than everyone thought. And now I look at the stocks and they go up the day, you know, but if you look at it over a six month period, look at the S&P over the last six months, look at the NASDAQ over the last six months, look at the 30 year bond rate over the last six months, like these things, it's a controlled demolition. Yes. You know, the, until inflation comes down, the demolition will continue and they might want to slow it down sometimes or speed it up, but the trajectory is downwards until inflation comes down. It's like as simple as that, as far simple as I can tell. So, not financial advice. No, no, no. But.
1: I wouldn't advise this to my worst enemy. <laughs> no, I'm good now. I'm Good now because for the two
0: the past two months, I've been chill. Yeah, but I'm the same though. Like, I'm not worrying about things as much as I used to. And I think that, ironically, investing is the only activity in life. I think where the less you care about it, to like to a certain extent in a certain way, the less you care about it, the better you are at it. Like, there's almost nothing like that in life where like, if you're a doctor who doesn't really care about the outcome, it's like, it's probably not a great doctor. <laughs> but I think in investing, because there's so much you can't control and because you're not actually in, in control of it. So getting like too much of a fixed idea in your mind of what you want to happen and what should be happening and well, well this is not happening the way I want it to be. Like, you know, Ramosh Pabrai said that. He said that he thinks the perfect, the perfect lifestyle for an investor is basically a gentleman of leisure, yeah. and then, to, you know, when some crisis happen, you spring into action, and I feel like that's the only kind of investor that I am. Like I'm not like a go through a thousand companies kind of investor. Mm-hmm. I ha- I just like sit up there and just like look at the markets generally, mm-hmm. and when I start to see something that doesn't make sense to me on a very deep level, like the fact that you have the third. Most expensive bank in the world, right? With the vast majority of its debt in mortgages, in the most one of the most overvalued property markets in the world. So a bank is essentially just a holder of debt on assets, you know, pretty much. So it doesn't make sense to me that the Australian banks would be trading where they are. Like, yeah, well,
1: it's just that kind of they go back up, don't they, in the government in a way, they, they might do, they might mm. not, there's president for it now, it's like a little bit less
0: risky than yeah. normal securities. That's true, there is that element to it. But I read through the stress test from two years ago, talking about like what the plan would be basically, if house prices went down 30%, and if unemployment went to 11%, and it basically the plan was that based on the reserves the banks have, they're um, you know, pretty solid, but part of the plan was to pay no dividends for three years. (laughs) So, yeah, the banks would survive if there's a property crash of 30%, but, you know, (laughs) paying no dividends for three years, that's not the bank's in trouble, but that, that, that means the bank's worth way less, definitely, because that is... But
1: the banks will be in
0: trouble. I think they probably will be, but the good thing is about some of these situations and the bond sure is the same, you know, we didn't need the rate to go up much to make our options go in the money. And I think with CBA, it's the same thing. It's like the prices not even have to decline very much. Like they could still be one of the most expensive banks in the world. And, you know, shorting or buying puts would still make sense because, you know, once you get a 30 or 40% decline, you've made sort of a three or four X usually something like that. So yeah, and
1: I guess people only hold
0: them for the dividends. Pretty much. I think that with, if we are going to a world where the commodity companies are really reliably profitable because you can't get a new mine built and they've got mines already running and the commodity prices are constantly rising. Then we have a lot of commodity companies in Australia. So you could see a huge shift in capital from the huge banks and the financial institutions. All the way over to like the big mining companies, where you know they'll then they'll be the ones who start paying solid dividends and start being, you know, reliable companies. Where you know if you've got the banks in Australia, with house prices falling and not being able to do new loans because nobody wants to buy a house in a market where interest rates are going up and house prices are falling. I mean, who would buy a house in those sort of situations? So, um, I think that, I think there's the potential there for that big money in super to start allocating away um
1: well yeah. isn't the esg restriction kind of lifted
0: now to make oh yeah pretty much
1: like a green option
0: <laughs> i saw that too yeah there was, was some a while ago. there was some change in some esg policy that make certain kind of energy energy green but you just need energy you have to you know keep people warm and stuff
1: yeah around some society doesn't
0: it yeah you can't do anything without it so as far as if we can produce it in a much you know in a much cleaner way that would be fantastic we should do as much of that as we as we can but you also can't take on huge amounts of debt right now um, to pay companies too much to do those projects because that's going to be injecting money into the economy you know so once inflation's really under control and there is like a lot of slack and there's a lot of people not working and things are you know, calm again then i think that that would be the time to you know start a company that does renewable stuff and start to borrowing to invest and, and create the you know create the um the jobs that way but at the moment like with the inflation that's <laughs> if we're at solve the inflation then we can't do anything no you know it's it's enemy number one i reckon yeah and
1: the market still hasn't got
0: it definitely not definitely not
1: so yeah i just think bonkers. <laughs> so I don't tune in. I just don't tune in again. Good. So yeah, I'd, up, I'd update Monish to a lady of leisure as well. A lady
0: of leisure. Oh, you're definitely a lady of leisure. That's for sure.
1: It's the way you gonna do it though.
0: Just I think so.
1: Stay sane.
0: I think, yeah, that should be, just like controlling inflation is the, should be priority number one for the government and, you know, the Federal Reserve. The priority number one for an investor, I reckon, in this kind of like situation, this kind of world we're living in is to study as much Buddhism and (laughs) yogic thinking as possible because, you know, you have to stay calm and you have to stay rational and you have to stay happy. And if you're acting out of unhappiness in investing, if your portfolio moves downwards and you're feeling unhappy, and you want to do something to fix that there's probably nothing you can do (laughs) about it so you have to be okay with being happy and content with what you have you know until an opportunity presents itself um which i think is the best way to be an investor yeah yeah try and stay happy
1: what you were saying before how a doctor yeah a doctor can't not care that's opposite for an investor yeah like because we're not dealing with lives here, we're dealing with money. Exactly. And what do you see money as? It's just a tool. It's, so you yeah. should be trying to use it, um, but it's just a tool, so don't lose sight of that. Like you can take risks with it, and you shouldn't be just wanting to harness as much money as you can.
0: Definitely. Just have money. Yeah.
1: So you shouldn't be affected if if you're up or down. Like,
0: exactly right your exactly right yeah like we were getting quite affected by the fact that our portfolio was potentially moving like 10 15 percent in one day regularly you know so that's that's hard for somebody who's got a little portfolio but our portfolio is from when we sold our house so it's not like a kind of range where it doesn't matter either way like it, it matters to what we can do with our business and it matters what we can do with um, our future ideas that we have, a business that we we maybe want to start. Like, it really matters. So we've got got a lot of factors pulling on us to try and make us less rational. So the fact that you have to be, you really have to have the approach where, well, I think you have to have the approach where you don't care whether you make money or you don't. You're doing something the best you can to be rational. And uh, you
1: have to be okay with being wrong
0: maybe you're not a great investor and that's okay because being an investor is no better than being anything else like you know a carpenter an investor you know a doctor like they're just all things that people do and if you're not enjoying the process like i mean i love investing but at some parts of this whole bunch or like it has not been fun and i think that the last few months by taking it a bit less seriously and realizing that ultimately what we're playing with here is potential future activity that's all money is money is money is just activity that you might be able to do in the in the future
1: stored potential
0: stored potential you know like we live in a country where if you lose all your money you can get free healthcare from the government you can get free food and free housing you know so like you're not in some slum you know in the middle of nowhere you know struggling to get you know, breadcrumbs, basically. Like, you know, we're in a very privileged position. You know, if you've got a little bit of money that you're investing and stuff and you're trying to compound. So I just think we need to take it all a bit less seriously. And when everyone's a bit more relaxed about the fact that they're losing or they're making money, then you'll get better choices made, I reckon. And you actually make better investments. Definitely. I think.
1: Because, well, we know that to be true for us anyway. Because, mm. like we couldn't have imagined the trade working out so well so quickly mm. it really took us by surprise like as soon as we started shorting in december mm. it's just been like downward spiral for tlt yeah like if you look at that chart <laughs> from december till now yeah it's like the trade's worked really well and you think like when that when that started working out we would have been so happy yeah. And really we were like stressed, very stressed, more than anything. Because yeah, now we're thinking, like, geez, okay, you know, probability is slightly adjusted now. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of a certain thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a big position. We'll, a have to, yep. we'll
1: have to reallocate quite a chunk, you know, when if this does. Going
0: exactly, and it yeah.
1: just stresses you out. You don't, yeah, you know, we should have been happy at that point. I know, but we were like, okay, hey, what are we going to do? we're going to look into other, yeah, investments now. Like, how are we gonna? It just raises the bar, and you never quite reach that point that you start out wanting, yeah. Which is, oh, imagine if the trade worked out exactly. And it starts to work out and you don't have that moment. You want the next moment.
0: Exactly right. So you yeah. just have
1: to stop that. And the earlier you've realized it, the better.
0: The fact that you're even alive is a complete fluke of the universe. Like all the billions of years that you know, we lived. Well, the billions of years, sorry, that we were not alive. And then now we're alive for like 100 years. Hopefully that'd be great. 100 years and then we're not going to be alive know, for I don't know how many billions of years infinitely, possibly, or, you know, whatever in the future. Um, that's that's an incredible privilege to be conscious at the moment. And on top of that, the fact that you're even, you know, you've learned enough and you're involved in this incredibly interesting activity called investing where you can speculate and you can, you know, put your viewpoint, you know, into the world and you can sort of, use what you know and use what you understand to make decisions that can potentially, you know, make money at a high rate, then you can just work for it. That's the whole point of it. Investing is that you can actually compound money and compound, you know, store energy so that you can just you live, know, off of it. live off it basically. And then make things happen in the world and do things and help people. And, you know, but there's no pressure, you know, no one's watching you saying you're failing or you're succeeding. Like, you know, the amount of people in history who have like put their whole lives into like growing a business only to get to a hundred years old and to think, oh gosh, what a waste of my time. Like, There's a lot of more important things in the world than money, that's for sure. And I do think it's good to remember that and remembering that makes you a better investor. Definitely. Yeah, because when I, when we first sold that house, I'm like, all right, I'm taking our equity and I'm investing our money. I definitely- All
1: our money. Oh much. yeah, ninety percent
0: of it was free for me to put into the markets, you know, about six years ago, and looking back, that was not that much money, <laughs> you know, like at the time, like you know how things have gone, but I was like tried really hard, try tried really hard to to build a portfolio, and I started with like okay, let's find some great value investments, some you know low price to books, some cheap companies. Things that seem defensive, you know, some Warren Buffett kind of companies. Fifteen stocks feels like a good number. You know, I'll just go. I'll make. I'll start with a two percent position. You know, I'll double it when things improve. I'll be very tactical about things. You know, and um, like I would have been much much better off if I just waited for the, the times when I saw something and I was like, that is so cheap, and just got that feeling of you know, being so motivated that I had to research something because it was such an incredible, incredible opportunity, you know? And so having that mindset of like, oh, I have to do something. I'm going to find companies. I'm going to create a portfolio. I'm going to force myself to do this. You know, I think that worked against me. I think if I just relaxed and looked around me for opportunity and not tried so hard, I think it would have worked out better. And... Um, That's the way way it's gone. Like, you know, our best ideas, you know, the COVID trade, the stocks we bought during COVID, you know, a couple of big positions, you know, before, you know, LaVisa was a company that like I looked into and did a lot of research on and got right, you know, felt very confident about that and putting huge amounts or, you know, 10%, 15%, 20% into the things I was the most confident in, you know, would have been smarter to do and... I think it's what we're doing now with our portfolio. I think our portfolio is like pretty pretty concentrated and it's very volatile. But what does the volatility mean? Like, you, can you know,
1: just You can go that bit bigger with higher conviction. Yeah. Yeah, you, know, you can go 20% if you've got a real high conviction yeah. case for something. Yeah. And you actually feel safer than having 10, 1% yeah. that are like little bets.
0: Definitely. But every person's situation is different. and, um, you know, that's not financial advice. That's what's worked for us and what I've learned, like, for myself. You pretty much agree that's... It would have made more sense.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: If you got this far, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed the conversation.
1: Now, if you'd like to become my
0: 22nd... Or my 43rd... ...follower on Twitter, links are in the show notes below. Mitch, anything else? Nothing to add.